Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the five hashtag five things podcast. Uh, what's new and what's news in social media? The week of December 9th. How was Thanksgiving, everybody? Amazing. Great. Excellent. Great. I realize we're a couple weeks out from that now, but I haven't seen you all. We didn't record. It, ha- it landed on Thanksgiving Day. I know that I missed you guys. Yeah. And recording this podcast. It's fun, isn't it? It is fun. See, I recorded a podcast by myself. You guys weren't there. Wait a second, Joey. Hold on a sec. Hold on. <laughs> we have a cameo today. And uh, uh, and that's Joey Scarillo, who is a project manager here at Grey, but he's also the executive producer of the Five Things podcast and the Grey Matters podcast. Thank you. It's a good. Da- it's another good download. Um, <laughs> so Joey Scarillo, you're going to kick us off with the intros today because you've already jumped in. Usually I like to, you know, give you the full grand intro, but being as you've ruined that for everybody, uh, everybody, that's Joe, and Joe's a Joe's a, a top guy. Going around the room again, Toby Daniels, as always, is off to my left, the uh, founder and CEO of Social Media Week. Um, next to him is a, a new member of the team today. It's Grace McDougall, uh, who is a content architect here at Grace. Gray. <laughs> Gray. Holy mackerel. The Grace, I've never done the that Grace before. Group. Grace the Grace, Grace Group. Grace Worldwide. Grace, Grace Gra- Yes. So is, is now the uh, owner and founder of Gray, uh, <laughs> but is also a content architect here. Uh, Grace, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having Appreciate me. It. Uh, so we covered Joey, and then Kenny Gold to my right, our North American head of social media. I am Dan Bennett, worldwide chief innovation officer here at Gray, and uh, let's jump in. Okay, so five things this week. I, I think it's a I think it's a good five things this week. Solid. Yeah, it's a solid five things. Uh, the first one is YouTube bringing social ads to the home feed. Who's taking that one? Joey. Um, yeah, good man. Uh, Snap tripled what they're paying AR creators which is a good one. I think Grace is handling that one. Yes. Uh, Facebook launching Whale. Kenny Gold's on that. Uh, TikTok distancing itself from China. Toby, that sounds like one of your... It's my specialist subject these days. Good man, yeah. We, it, what would this podcast be without a foray into political stuff none of us fully understand? <laughs> no, definitely. Okay. Yeah, the, the unqualified. Yeah, exactly. Like to call ourselves. Do not listen to this podcast for political insight. No. Um, that's our third podcast. Thankfully, Grey, Grey doesn't mom, matter. Thankfully, your mum, who is our listener... She is. Uh, ...also not an expert does, on politics. ...doesn't have a clue. No. Uh, and then number five is American Express celebrating 10 years of Small Business Saturday, and that's also Toby. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna mix it up so Toby doesn't do two in a row, Mm. as much as we love the sound of him. Do you want to start us off with American Express for number one? Wow, okay, absolutely. Is that okay? Wasn't prepared. No, totally fine. American Express celebrated 10 years of Small Business Saturday. Who knows what Small Business Saturday is? I do. Well, I also know that about 15 agencies have claimed the invention of Small Business Saturday <laughs> in our space. Absolutely. That and the line, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. Well, understand, understandably, because it is a pretty amazing initiative. Brilliant. Um, 10 years old. So let me go, let me sort of walk you guys through it, unpack what this really means. So, um, so yes, just this past uh, weekend, in fact, uh, American Express celebrates the 10th year of Small Business Saturday. They hosted a two-weekend, well, they are hosting a two-weekend activation called The Big Future of Shopping Small, which showcased what stores might look like in the year 2030 with technologies like AI, AR, biometrics, and more. 
So for the uninitiated, Small Business Saturday, it's, a, it's an American Express trademark. It always takes place on the last Saturday of November. So it's sort of sandwiched between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. It's a pretty crowded uh, period of, of time, it seems, at this I don't point. think I realise that that's when it fell every year. Mm-hmm. That makes it even better. How Indeed. annoying. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and small businesses basically have sort of piggybacked on this concept by using it to promote their businesses on any given Saturday by launching promotions around the same time. So ha- what sort of impact has, has this sort of program and initiative have o- had over the co- course of the last, like, 10 years? Well, consumers, according to American Express, of course, have spent more than $100 billion at small businesses during that period. And the company also says that 67 cents of every dollar spent at local businesses remain in their communities, which is about $67 billion. Um, over the course of this campaign and to celebrate the 10 years, American Express also took to social media, which is in a way why we're sort of talking about it here, um, and talked about how um, what they've been doing over the course of the last 10 years of Small Business Saturday and how it's impacted small businesses and their communities with the hashtag uh, Small Biz Sat and also the hashtag Shop Small. So why should we care about this? Well, actually, I want to talk about this from a very personal perspective because I actually uh, uh, have a sort of a very... Um, uh, a deep kind of connection to Small Business Saturday. So first of all, it's 10 years old. Social Media Week is also 10 years old. We founded Social Media Week and Small Business Saturday also founded at the depth of the Great Recession. Um, very much around the same time. Um, American Express has also been a very long-standing partner of ours. And we've done lots of work with the Small Business Saturday let, team. Let me just add something here. Mm-hmm. If, if, if our listener wants to go and dive into what you just said about when you launched Social Media Week. Toby and I did a social, did a, did a grey matter podcast about him launching Social Media Week in the deep winter of the recession. And I have to say, as much as I dislike admitting it to Toby's face, it's very interesting. Well, it, it, we, did, we did touch on my experiences at Burning Man, so if you want to learn more about that, uh, check out the Grey Matter podcast. So, yeah, so we, we both started in the depths of the Great Recession, um, but, but ultimately, much more importantly, as an entrepreneur, I have a huge amount of respect for small business owners. I think anything we can do to support them and their work and their business to help them grow is, is obviously a good thing. Small businesses are, of course, the lifeblood of the economy, especially in regards to job creation. So I'm very much here for everything that Amex has done over the course of the last 10 years. I think it's a phenomenal initiative. Very happy to uh, to share it and talk about it here. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's one of those things that stands out for me over the last, now we know, 10 years as just something that uh, is, I think, is, is a truly brilliant vehicle for everything we hold dear about marketing indeed well you know small businesses they get a hard rap they don't get celebrated enough yeah. and then when you actually break it down and look at what they contribute to the economy it's yeah. it's massive and it's a perfect fit for Amex. Uh, there's also an element of simple iconography and badge value that mm. i think comes from small business saturday when you see that icon on a door yeah it immediately means and evokes something for you so for the marketers who will hopefully be listening, Mm -hmm. creating small shareable badges that allow for uh, immediate recall of what something means in a simple way is a great lesson from small businesses. I I also think that consumers are like really seeking out kind of small businesses now because of the fact they offer something that feels more intimate. You can connect, you know, directly, um, you know, with the actual small business owners. And I think there's a real appetite for that at the moment, particularly as we kind of like, you know, are struggling or, or wrestling, I think, with our relationship to kind of consumerism and small businesses, I think, represent something that just like makes us feel a little bit better about the world. Love it. So happy uh, birthday to uh, Small Business Saturday, 10 years. Uh, number two, 
uh, on our list of five things this week is YouTube bringing shopping ads to the home feed. Executive producer Joey Scarillo. Yeah, so uh, YouTube added uh, shopping ads to the home feed in the search results, and um, this will allow you know brands to gain more visibility on the platform, which um, which you know I think is an attempt for YouTube to catch up with Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest on like the visual advertising. Um, I think whenever a new ad space comes out, um, what's interesting for the agencies is finding a new way to use that creatively and finding a way to to sort of make that space come uh, come to life in an interesting and creative way. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I wonder too just if it from like a visual standpoint, if it's too cluttered on the homepage, yeah. there's a lot going on on YouTube's homepage. Um, so I'd be interested to just see how it rolls out. I think it's interesting when you're in meetings and you talk about YouTube, you talk about Google, there's always the line that a lot of marketers use with like, YouTube's the number two search engine in the world after Google. And it's like this, it's yeah. this comment that I feel like a lot of sh- strategists and creatives make when they're talking about an idea. It, it just, to see- just, just a little sidebar, as a podcast that's aimed at marketers, do you think it's on point to, to do that voice when you reference marketers? <laughs> Sound like Sideshow Bob or something? I, I think being was. a little self-deprecating when it comes to um, <laughs> some of the tropes that we use is not the worst thing in the world. Fair but yeah. um, I look, forward, I look forward to you rolling this voice out again in the future. <laughs> yes. so, Before we just discover a new bit. Let's all, hear from all, you. Yeah. All of that to say is I think... Google tends to keep things sort of like in their own world. And seeing these two things merge together is a very interesting step for them. Um, I'd be curious to see the the data behind it that they start to launch where you get to see how pre-roll drive to sale, these ads drive to sale, which performs better, what are the learnings that they see. Uh, So it's an interesting move from the Googles. I would like to, to move get the on. perspective. <laughs> no, I, 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 we will move on, but I'd like to get the perspective before I officially comment on this from um, a variety of my friends who are creators in the YouTube space. Because, uh, you know, as that algorithm and, and uh, the ways, ways in which they get paid and the ways in which their content is monetized shifts, uh, I, think they're, I think they're working in a more difficult landscape than they might ever have been. And I wonder how buy, being able to buy space like this on the platform will affect them, because I think it will affect them. I, I, I do think you bring up a good point, and I think that the shift that I would like to see uh, in the creative space, and in, in particular in terms of like how they continually figure out how to like monetize their content, is for the creators to be focused more on creating great content and less on trying to figure out how to monetize that content. So if there are new tools and new ways that make it easier for them, and whether this represents that or not, I'm not really sure. I think ultimately it is a good thing. Too much time and energy is spent with creators just like uh, in a very ham-fisted way, you know, doing these like, you know, product yeah. endorsements and other yeah. such things that just like I think ruins the kind of spirit of what they do. Right, that's that solved. Uh, number three uh, is Grace Snap, tripling what they're paying AR creators. Yeah, they're rolling out big bucks um, for augmented reality. Um, and they rolled it out at Lens Fest, um, which is their virtual lens um, popular festival. Why wasn't this podcast invited to Lens Fest? <laughs> um, I don't think that we are the lens creators here at Gray. Um, but if we, Dan, are 
going to create one, then we should go next We year. should go to LensFest. LensFest, yeah. for sure. Um, and guess what else they rolled out at LensFest? Grace, what else did they roll out at LensFest? It has something to do with what goes on your face. Toby might be wearing them right now. Uh, uh, a, a mask. Okay. <laughs> Facial hair. Oh, yes, a beard. A I am wearing a beard. <laughs> was, it, was it glasses? Yes, spectacles. It was. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, so they rolled out their third um, spectacles. So I don't know if anyone here has ever even bought them. My, but yeah, Ke my brother has them. Kenny Gold <laughs> bought the previous two iterations. No, no, no. I bought the first iteration at the vending machine back in the day. Oh, wow. All right. Anyone? Uh, Come on, I have so much to say on this. It, 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 for, for, it more about this the, for lens fest, please. Like, what are we doing here? Why can't people name things properly? That's yeah, a terrible well, name for leads any to type scale. Of gathering, uh, any type of gathering. Um, the the issue. Well, I, I want to sort of talk about the the spectacles for a second because I just wish that someone would kill this idea, uh, kill this product. Let's so do it. Let's do it now. Just continue to focus on the things that matter. They've already come out and admitted it's like not. It's been a bit of a distraction. They wasted a bunch of money, but yet they're still coming out and trying to sort of peddle this this piece of hardware. You're not in the hardware business. Haven't we as brands killed it though? By as marketers for brands, we have ostensibly killed it by not creating ideas for our brands with it as a part of it. Yeah. Like we don't walk into rooms and be like, you know what's gonna win for you, Gillette? Spectacles. Right. Like we don't go in there and make that case. Well, you know, the, the one the one argument I'd make is that I think it is important to be uh, uh, experimenting and innovating and, and and thinking about like the role of, of this type of hardware in terms of like a new interface and how we kind of experience the world and, and the role it plays in terms of like augmenting these experiences. I'm very much here for all of that. I'm not sure Snap should be the company that's actually like producing this hardware. I think there's plenty of opportunity for other companies and obviously there are a lot of other hardware manufacturers out there doing this. Um, but ultimately, it's where it's taking us to in the future is is not to a place where everyone's going to be walking around with this type of hardware in their face. It's taking to us a place where we will have augmented experiences mostly delivered through like a contact lens. Um, so it, these, there are stepping stepping stones that will ultimately get us there. I just don't feel that like Snap should be the company. Kenny Gall, if you, one of your devices buzzes again during the live recording of this podcast, I'm going to beat you with this microphone. <laughs> I feel horrible, but I got to tell you, it's the only way I was doing it so I didn't rustle paper. And in doing so, I've created you know additional that, there's noises. There's a mute button on the side. Yeah. Anyway, listen, I, I've got to go back. As, as, a, as a responsible moderator, we didn't address what this point is, and it's about Snap paying creators more money. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Let's get back Sorry. into that. So they've tripled what they're paying to creators. Uh, why are they doing that, do you think? I would believe that it's so that they have like a competitive edge in the market. So Instagram is doing filters as well, but I think Snap thinks that they can do it better. Um, and it's a great way to get into the younger demographic. Um, the younger demographic loves filters and loves augmented reality. Um, and it's an up and coming technology. I mean, it's already here, but um, they have a competitive edge in that regard. So, so to some extent, it's a way of land grabbing the best talent. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think it's a very common move. It's totally understandable. Every platform does it in the early days of either launching a feature or a product or rolling out a new service. You kind of have to do it. And, yeah. it, and it makes sense. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm definitely supportive of, of, of that. I, I, I'm always supportive whenever creators and creativity gets more appropriately paid. Right. The trouble is, or at least the question it should always raise, is to what extent is it sustainable? 
um, you know, in terms of like, uh, is it sustainable for the actual creators themselves to be able to kind of like support themselves and their craft, um, you know, off the back of these types of investments? I think to do that, you'd have to license or provide royalty to each time the things are used, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. Kenny, it's time. Do you want to do you want to signal with another notification from one of your devices? You know what? I'm getting. Uh, I, I feel bad, but All I right. didn't want to rustle paper. Everybody, pay attention. This? How about this? Let's not like care about notification sounds. It's just like part of the natural ambiance. Yeah, it felt very ambient. Yeah, it feels it's part of the natural ambiance. I would be annoyed even if I was on a train. Okay. I don't. It's 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 less. It's more about Kenny right now. <laughs> oh, uh, All right, great. Listen, Ken. No laughing. Number four. Number yes. four. Kenny Gold. Facebook uh, launching Whale. Yes, so Facebook launched a new app called Whale, and Whale allows users to create their own memes through the use of some simplified templates and editing tools. So as of now, uh, this app is only available in Canada, and there has been no word yet on the expanded release. It's a very, very interesting move. I think we saw a very similar uh, type of approach uh, when Facebook started to play with doing masks and filters using Masquerade back in the day. Um, it is an attempt to win over teens. Uh, we know that social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat have really taken uh, a good chunk of that. Uh, t oh, boy. Turn off those notifications. Um, <laughs> 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 um, oh, back to the point at hand. So in doing is that so, one? go on. Yeah, th this is an interesting tool and one I think uh, is the right move for Facebook. They're trying to remain competitive when it comes to this user set. Um, I love it. I think it's uh, you know the the meme creation tools uh, aren't necessarily great. So Facebook's ability to come in and do this would be uh, pretty awesome. Um, if you want to learn more about creating authentic memes for brands, you can find a post on Media Post from October of 2018 written by me, all about the best ways to use memes. Oh, so we can find a post from 14 months ago from you about memes. That. That's great. Yeah. So um, download Whale. I certainly will be because my meme my meme creating ability is kind of weak right now, and I you think do like Whale, a meme though. I do like a good meme, yeah. so Whale's the solution. Now, listen, I. Uh, I'm going to talk to Guy, our friend in the control booth here, because at this point, um, I'd like us to pause and we're going to spend a lot of money on a new intro for this small section of the podcast around one thing in politics this week. And I'm going to hand over to the host of the one thing in politics section to cover number five. Wait. Oh, we've moved on from whale. Are we? You were done. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. I thought you were done. I thought you were done with Whale. I guess there was no debate or conversation around you, you, it. Quite honestly, I have nothing to say, but that's because I'm so nervous about yeah. the next thing. I, 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 well, <laughs> let me say this. I'm uninterested in it. So that's why I wanted to move past. Lovely, because you're the audience for yeah, it. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so, I, But I do want to get to number five and give it uh, a, a reasonable amount of airtime, which is why uh, I... Fair I'm enough. You, um, uh, so, number five... Pause for an uh, emotive intro into uh, TikTok distancing itself from China. Good luck with that, Toby. All right, this is a big one. It's going to take me a while to kind of, like, uh, get through this. So here's what happened. After the U.S. government launched a national security review of TikTok back in November... Alex Zhu, founder of Musical.ly and the current leader at TikTok, spoke to the New York Times publicly to address concerns of the app's alleged censorship and data connections to China. According to Zhu, uh, who has not uh, done many interviews, uh, TikTok does not censor videos that uh, 
displease China, nor does it share user data with China. And by China, presumably means the Chinese government. So what does this mean? Well, uh, TikTok is trying to distance itself from the investigation and its association to the Chinese government. According to the latest data from Sensor Tower, TikTok exceeded 1.5 billion downloads, making it the third most downloaded app outside of Holy the mackerel. outside of gaming this year. So why should we care and what does it mean for our industry? Well, some people, whoever they are, believe TikTok is a menace. In large part because of its China, uh, because it is Chinese, which represents a concern for the U.S. government, and also, and this is something that I don't think is being discussed very much, it's also a concern for other U.S.-based social media platform companies. And I kind of break that down a little bit. So, in this recent interview with the New York Times, um, which I believe is one of the first interviews he's actually done or conducted since he took the reins of TikTok earlier this year, Mr. Zhu Mr. denied, in unambiguous terms, several of the key accusations. No, TikTok does not censor videos. No, it does not share user data with China or even with its Beijing-based parent company. All data, and this is really what it comes down to here and whether you believe this or not, all data on TikTok users worldwide is stored in Virginia, he said, with backup servers in Singapore. So I think there's a lot more to this. There's a lot to discuss here. Okay, so let's unpack it in the sort of typical five things fashion. I'm going un to unpack or break it down in five different ways. TikTok is a threat to other US social media platforms, Snap, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's captured the imagination of the, and the attention of a younger demo, the 13 to 17 demo in massive numbers. It's growing like crazy. Creators love it because it offers new forms of creative expression that don't really seem to exist on the other platforms. And also, and most critically, brands are starting to invest heavily in part because the ad experience offers something kind of interesting and unique. Here's the key thing, and this is why I'm sort of deliberately conflating these two things. To its users and the creators on the platform, the connection to China doesn't mean anything. Okay, I was listening to an interview recently with Spencer X, who is like a creator on the platform, is a beatboxer, he has 10 million followers on the platform. During this interview, he raved about the platform, loves it, thinks it's incredible, doesn't, doesn't mention or talk about the kind of the relationship to China at all. The creators don't care. The users don't really care. The only people that care are the US government and, and this is again the bit that people aren't talking about, the other US-based social platforms. They care because they're obviously concerned about competition. They pay lobbyists, presumably, to be bringing this up as an issue and particularly wanting to talk about the fact that like, this relationship between TikTok and China is problematic. Whether it is or not, it's almost difficult, almost impossible for us to truly know. But, and this is my final point, the rubber will ultimately meet the road when a PNG or a Unilever refuses to advertise on the platform until these concerns have been addressed or until there is more transparency around this relationship. So, at the end of the day, the dollar, dollar, at least in my opinion, is mightier than their need to be opaque around kind of where data is stored and around their relationship to China. So that's it. Discuss. I, my, my only... Uh, challenge, I suppose, would all of that be uh, that uh, I don't know that users ever care, right? So they're not a particularly good bellwether as to whether or not uh, this is a significant headwind for the platform, right? Especially this demo, which is the younger end of whom, for our, from our point of view, that we're allowed to talk to. Um, so I don't know if users caring uh, is all that big they, they, I don't think they care for... I, I agree that they don't care. The, 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 
first point being that they this demographic uses social media with very little uh, self oversight of what the implications are of the things that they put out there and where those things go. Mm-hmm. Deep fakes, they might view them. They don't care about them and they're not thinking about them. They don't think that someone's going to take their data, their information, their face and use it in any which way. They don't care that people can screenshot what they're publishing. They are using social media freely and without any self-regulation. That's the first component of this. The second component, even with an older user base, is when people in the United States found out that the Face app or the Face Swap app was being done by Russians, they didn't care. Russia. They, Russia. They doubled down. They were like, we're going to keep doing it. We, oh, I don't care. We'll see how it goes. I don't think people think this way. And then a- another point worth addressing is this idea that um, the other social platforms are using this knock on TikTok as a way to get advertisers to not spend their money on TikTok. Those social networks have faced way more headwind than TikTok has for all of their transparency issues, for all of their data security issues, for everything related to where their ads are going to show up in relation to nefarious organizations. And advertisers have still advertised there. People are still advertising on YouTube when they're unsure if their ads are going to show up next to an ISIS recruitment video. People are still advertising on Facebook, even though they know that the regulatory things aren't stopping fake news ads from going out in the world. So I think that, you know, what the, the fact that the other networks are using the stuff that they've been guilty for for almost a decade to try and unseat what TikTok is doing is really like pot calling the kettle black. It's of course really it is, yeah. ridiculous. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It doesn't mean it's not going to continue to happen. And also, it doesn't mean that they're not going to put a significant amount of like investment behind the argument that they ultimately are trying to make, whether it's true or not. TikTok is claiming it's not true. Um, there is a lot of like, um, I think disagreement around that. And I just think it's just going to be very interesting. I think my, my general point really was just like, you know, who, who is most sensitive to this as a potential issue. And I suspect if anyone is going to come at this with a high degree of cautiousness, it's probably going to be the brands. But just to play the devil's advocate here, don't you think that some consumers, not some, but a majority of consumers care because the face app, as soon as that came out, and people realized that it was the Russian government behind it and taking their data, they stopped using it. Same with Facebook. There's allegedly. so much con- <laughs> Allegedly. Y- y- yes, allegedly. Um, but <laughs> since there's so much controversy around Facebook, people have like stopped using it, especially younger generations. So you can argue that Facebook just isn't as relevant to them anymore because they're not keeping up with augmented reality and other cool features. Or you can say that it, there's just so much controversy around it. They don't the, want to be a part of it. The, the usage trends per channel are so cyclical and when one group moves to one the other moves to another and they move back and forth and people who left facebook are going back to facebook because their parents are now on instagram or snap or wherever it is (laughs) i think ultimately the 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 lesson for brands and marketers is about understanding the purpose of the channel and why the consumer goes there in the first place and tailoring content that will resonate with their consumer, not necessarily saying we need an idea for this channel. So I think it's all about understanding the the usage behavior versus the trend on where they're flocking to. Yeah, I do think that's a really important point. And actually the reason why I think, and we're sort of getting a little bit off topic, but I think it's interesting. The reason why I think TikTok is actually gonna be successful as it starts to appeal to older demographics and the reason why I don't think like the younger demographics are necessarily gonna migrate away 
is because as a platform and tool, it offers a unique way for people to creatively express and consume highly creative content. It doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, everyone has like an appetite for creativity and for just cool shit. And I think that's what like TikTok sort of ultimately represents. And I'll always maintain or at least try and kind of make the argument that I, I don't think it's I don't think young people kind of move around and migrate as much as we think that they do. I think that they kind of like are pretty much locked in until they get older and they just like naturally want to move into different platform environments. And I think depend regardless of, um, you know, whether you fall under Gen Z, millennial, boomer, whatever, we can all agree that memes are really where uh, yeah. where we can all unify. It, it should have been the focus of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to hear the end we of it should. Kenny for cutting him yeah, off yeah, on yeah. that one. We should mean, get back to the memes. Right. So, so uh, memes. The, the, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's going to that's going to do it for this week. Next week is our last podcast before the holidays. Mm. And so, you know, we we're going to go we're going to go pretty hard on that one, I think. Uh, we need six things. Maybe <laughs> well, we do at least six or seven ultimately when it boils down in each of these as it is. But we, we need a theme, uh, which which is I think the listener can be looking forward to at this point. Definitely. Um, so drunk five uh, things. Drunk, and it will be on Comedy Central. Uh, I think most of the people listening assume this is drunk five things anyway. <laughs> oh, lovely. But uh, anyway, so so uh, that just leaves me to thank uh, you lot. So Toby Daniels, Grace McDougall. Uh, Joey Scarillo and Kenny Gold uh, thank you for joining us on Hashtag 5 Things this week and uh, I'll see many of you next week thank you Dan thank, thank you Dan. Dan thank you Dan Bennett oh <laughs> Joey ever the executive producer you're legend alright thanks guys The 5 Things is produced by Andrew Petit Joey Scarillo and Christina Torres and recorded at Townhouse Studios Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.